You're listening to Insights for Living with Pastor Boju Oyemade. Pastor Boju is the senior pastor of the Covenant Nation. So, let's just look at this few thoughts here from God as we move on. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. He said, my praise shall, con- or his praise rather, shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from how many? He says, all, not some, all my fears. They looked to him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from how many? All, not some, of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivered them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is that man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear. That word fear means reverence. So we're going to look at that. Because one of the things in his mercy that he does as an act of his mercy, it's a judicial act, right? He, he wants to, when he gives you truth, he wants to correct something that is hindering that thing from flowing into your life. So when you go to God in prayer about something, he says, ask, and he says, you have not because you ask not. He said, if you ask and receive not, it's because you asked amiss to consume it. So what he does with truth is to show you where you are missing it. That's why he's a merciful and compassionate high priest, that he may have compassion on them that are ignorant. So in curing the ignorance, he gives you the knowledge of truth. And then you see that place. And once you make that adjustment, then you come into alignment with him. Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not how many all his benefits. Part of it is, who forgiveth how much all thine iniquities and he left how many all thy diseases so we have to know not that god can do something we all know that but we have to know he yearns that the scripture says the eyes of the lord are going to and fro the entire he's looking for but the hearts of the people that's what he says. He, if, if the people reverence him, he will, and, and are humble. You know, someone told me recently during the week, he said somebody was arrogant. I said, listen to me. He said the person's getting arrogant, something. And I said, listen, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Okay? When you listen to them speak, they may sound the same. But the person who is confident listens to others and makes adjustments when he gets correct, listens. The arrogant person, that's where pride is. They are not teachable. Now, they both sound confident. Even the arrogant person will sound confident. And bo- but the scripture says that pride will always come before you fall. Because they overestimate their ability. They don't lean on them for help. They have, that's arrogance. But confidence is totally different. So it says here, 
who redeemed thy life and crowneth thee, all right, who healeth all thy diseases. So, God's ability in the New Testament, let's look at what he talks about, the way he relates this ability here in the New Testament. If we go to Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 1. Um, let's look at this here. And verse 19. All right? He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? But look at how he classified it. To us word. That exceeding greatness of his power is reserved for when he's using it on behalf of man. That's why he says, what is man? That thou art so mindful of him. He says, when I look at the stars, look at all the things you have created with your power. He said, what is man that thou art so? Which means that the exceeding greatness of his power can only be found when he is using it on behalf of humanity. You will not find him use that power anywhere else at that level except when he's using it to redeem, to save, to heal, or to deliver humanity. That's what he's saying here. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the workings of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ. That's what he's saying here. So this power is reserved and is channeled to us word. So where does the problem lie? The problem starts with, first of all, this subconscious programming that tells us God is able, but he is not willing. It's there. It's within human nature, embedded in our DNA. We don't question his ability, but we question his willingness. That's why we cannot say with all certainty, that something can happen or something is going to happen because we are not sure whether we can depend on him to do that particular thing because we're not sure about his will. So are you telling me, are you telling me that if a father has the capacity, naturally speaking, here, now you think about this, well, mother here, that there's a heavy metal instrument on the legs of their child. Are you telling me that the father will walk past or the mother will walk past and you will question whether or not the mother or the father will not lift off that heavy metal not to destroy the legs of their child? Are you, are you telling me that, that they walk past? If they walk past, then they are not. And that's what Solomon was saying. He said, bring out the knife. Let's cut the child. We will know who the mother of the child is. In other words, something will move inside the real mother to save the child from death. And that's what God was saying. He said, listen. He said, Zion, Zion said, God has forsaken me. In other words, we believe he's able, but he said, God has forsaken He said, can a woman, that's where the problem is, forsake her child. He says, she may do that. But he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For I've engraven thee upon the palms of my hand. His goodness is the foundation of our faith. So let's look at this here. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 8. See this. 
You know, so what we should really tell people is that when somebody walks up to you and says, you know, I want this, you, ask, you should ask the person to know whether the person is in faith. Is God really eager to do this for you? And listen, because the question we ask is that, do you think God can? That's not the question. We say, what we should ask, but say, do you, is God eager to do these things? Is he, is he willing to do it? They say, well, well, then you know why it won't work. Matthew 8, verse 2. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, now listen to what he said, Lord, if thou will, thou can. In other words, he was sure he could, but he wasn't sure he will. That's what leaks faith. He said, all right, if thou will, Thou can. The ability is there, but the willingness to do it. And we think we are actually praising God by saying, you know, you can, but, you know, we're not sure whether you will. It's like telling the Father, I know you have the ability to save me from my legs from being destroyed, but I'm not sure whether you really want to. It is better for in the relationship as Father to know that he could not. It's just like if the metal is too heavy and the father is struggling with the mother and they can't kind of put and they're sweating, they, you will know they tried. But to say they have the ability and they walked past means there's something wrong with them. Look at what he says here. He says, if thou will, thou can make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately, so he didn't doubt his ability. What he doubted was his willingness. So people have got to be taught. God is not just able. God is actually willing. All right? It is faith in his compassion first. And then his ability, all right, to do that. And that's the difference between God and a natural relationship that they might be compassion. So if a father says, I want to help my child, this metal stuff is on his legs and he's trying, but doesn't have the ability. He has the compassion, but doesn't have the ability. Now what the God says, I, in fact, he said he was afflicted in all of affliction. You know what that means? Which means I felt the pain as you felt the pain. The very thing you are going through. When his child goes through something, God experiences it. It's like a mother whose child is crying and is in pain. If the mother could, she would say, bring that pain on me so that you can be relieved. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took it on himself so that you can be free. That's what he did. That mother says, I'd rather be sick than you. I will handle it. You go free. I mean, there was a situation I met somebody who said something and uh, Amdrabas came to his house and um, so somewhere and um, they were in a shoot and I, th I think they, there was something, but he knew that there was something wrong. That wasn't, they were not thieves. They were, they, they, somebody sent them to hurt him because what he said was when they came in, he said, and they pointed the gun at him and his son. He said, look, this is my age. I've already fulfilled my life. I've gotten this. I've succeeded. He's just starting his. I'll take the bullet. Let him go. And they shot his son instead of him. Now, that is the heart of a father. Take it, and you can go. That's what God did on the cross. Now, so, faith in his love for us, that's the foundation of it. 
we keep questioning his compassion. Compassion is not something you ask. Let, let, let me give it here. Look at Matthew chapter 14 here. You don't ask somebody to be compassionate. Listen, look at Matthew chapter 14. It's the nature of the person. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 and verse 14. It says, all right? The Bible says, when Jesus heard it, he departed thence by sheep to a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot. And when Jesus went forth, he saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion. It's not that they told him to be compassionate. That's his nature. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Now, he tells you it's more expedient for you that I go away. That means you're in a better place. Now, but look at what happened in Mark chapter 9. You see what this chap said, verse 21. All right? Now, he asked the father, how long has this happened uh, since it came on him? And it was said, since I was a child. He says, and oftentimes he cast him to the fire and to the waters. That's Mark 9, 21, 22, and to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if thou can believe, you're asking me to have compassion. He says, the problem is that you don't believe that I'm compassionate. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So it's his compassion. It's like a liquid flowing in his heart that directs towards where people have needs. He feels what other people feel. The Bible says he all right, is, was afflicted with all of the afflictions. So as I bring this to a close, I want to show something. So what hinders him from expressing this goodness? Because it must be big. It must be huge. If this is how he is, then what hinders him? One, all right, a spiritual warfare is involved. Well, you have to first have a concept of God so that you're on the right side, okay? Because sometimes you, you may not be on the right side. You have to first be on the right side, all right? You must be on the right side, on the right side in the sense that you know that he loves you and you are worshipping him and praising him. Now, if you ain't doing that, then you don't have the manifest presence of God for that particular thing. So you must be singing about his goodness, about his compassion, about his love. Okay? How much he loves you. Then you must understand, therefore, you are not overcoming any reluctance in God. You know, it tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, we've quoted the scripture a lot, that God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness. I, I mean, how do we know this? Proverbs 3 tells us, we read the scripture, it says, don't say, go. Now, we have it in our mind. It says, because a thousand years is like a day with the Lord, and a day is like a thousand years. You know what that is telling you? He's telling you that, listen, something that could take him a day, you may take him, may, because of your behavior, you may cause it to last for a thousand years. And what should last for a thousand years, if you get it right, he says, will happen in one day. Now, how do we know this? They were in the wilderness for 40 years. They were not supposed to be there for 40 years. They were to be there for the real intent of God at the beginning was three days. So something can be going on for 40 years that could, should only last for three days. So what was it? The problem was with man. And it starts with failing to recognize that he's a good God. And that part of his goodness and mercy, and this is what we're going to see here, 
part of his goodness and mercy towards us. That's why he says, to them that fear him. That word fear there is the word reverence. Now, the reason why, that's why we say mercy and truth. In other words, you recognize he's merciful, but then you've got to understand that he will not, there's, there's truth also. Truth must be in place for, for, for us to experience, all right, his mercy. I'll close with this. So he says he's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but he's not willing that any should perish but come to repentance. For a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So there's something that should change inside the hearts of people that is massive. And this is where the real warfare is. You know, we think the warfare is on the outside. That, you know, the, the blessing is coming, it's trying to block it. No, 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 it's within. That's why it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. One of the strongholds is what we are addressing now with the word of God. Failure to know that this is disposition towards and thinking and worshipping him. So God says, as an act of mercy... I therefore must step in to help. And that's what we are resisting. The correction that he has to make in us for that thing to be able to flow through us. There's that thing he says must change. See what he said in Daniel chapter, chapter, chapter and Daniel chapter 4. You hear what um, um, Nebuchadnezzar said. Hear what he said. Now, this was Nebuchadnezzar who was thrown into the wilderness and was with animals and beasts, like we just described, which means there's a father and the children are eating. He was eating with swines, eating with pigs. But hear what he said when he was recounting what happened. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, languages that dwelleth in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought towards me. It's part of his power. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I want to show you the things God did in me. He said, there were no external man. It wasn't that he healed him. He had nothing. Nothing external man. For sure. He was the correction that he brought. Because Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that this was what God did for him. All right. was throughout eternity. He said, I was in my house, flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And what was it? He was cut down. But Nebuchadnezzar came to realize, he says, when you know that the heavens does rule. And verse 34, he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven again. So you can shorten all of that. If once you begin to see the signs around you, you know that this is the chastisement of God that may be grievous, but it's an act of mercy. And he says, should we not rather be in subjection to the Father of Spirit? That word subjection, which means, he says, we, he says, we he use the word reverence. Let me just show, show this. Uh, he says in Revelation, sorry, it's a revelation, Hebrews chapter um, 12 here. It says, Hebrews 12, 8. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. For as furthermore, we've had our fathers in the flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence, which means fear. 
there is no want to them that fear him. The opposite of fear is hardness. In other words, things are not going the way you think they should go. You harden your heart towards God instead, which means he's saying that there's a truth you must get, but you harden your heart. Now he says reverence is what he's saying here. Shall we not be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So when in our environment we see things, you see Satan comes to capitalize on these things when we had in our hearts, but things are not moving the way, which means it doesn't, it doesn't show, all right? Our lives are not demonstrating his mercy and compassion. So what we do is that we know that in his mercy that fails not, there's something that he wants to correct. So we are not spending a thousand years, all right? wasting our lives on things that are vain david said it was good that thou afflicted me he says for my thoughts were vain so we go in subjection this thing is just not the way it is supposed to be we go into worship quickly before the father of spirits and say look we see this sign here we see this sign here we see this sign here we worship you we should live above all these things so what's going on here lord teach me uh, as, as job said he said uh, elio told him teach me lord that which i know not teach me why are you saying teach me you are saying teach me because you don't know you are ignorant uh, he said you should have said teach me if i've done iniquity I will do no more. Teach me. Teach me means you are not aware. And we've said this. The high priest has compassion on the ignorant. In other words, you are actually not aware of what is. And because you are not aware, does it mean you are right? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. This is the point. And this is what we've been trying to get across to the body of Christ concerning faith. That listen, you go and meet him that he is a good and a loving God. And part of his goodness is to take away things from within you that might hinder the full fulfillment of his will and plan for your life. And as you go there and worship to him for your good and your mercy endureth forever. Part of it in your mercy is that, you know, you want to teach me. And that's why he says, when I come to that mercy seat, I will commune with you and give you commandments. So he comes there and that one says, these are the things that you need to do. And then you put those things in place. And what happens is you begin to see the power of God. So what are we saying? God, he's good and his mercy endureth forever. He says, you have not because you ask not. He says, and if you ask and you don't receive, it's because there's a problem within. Come, let us reason together. I will show you what it is. Because it is much better to give, I'll get this here, for a father to give his children an education so that they have the purchasing power and to give them his wisdom and to give them his skill so that they have the internal faculty to be able to generate it themselves rather than him giving them the benefits of his own wisdom. And that's what God is saying. That look, the greater blessing is not in me giving you 
That's why he says, Moses knew the ways of God. And he tells us that. So other folks only knew Israel, knew the acts of God. And this was an act of mercy on the part of God in teaching Moses, all right, his ways, okay? Teaching Moses his ways. It was an act of mercy. Let me show you, that's it here. It says, look at it, Psalm 103. That same scripture I read it. Who forgiveth, verse 3, all thy iniquities, healeth all thy diseases. Now look at what he says next. He made, verse 7, he known his ways unto Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, that's that chastisement, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. For as the heavens are higher, so it was in this concept of mercy that Moses came to know the ways of God. And that's what he was saying. He said, they always hear in their heart and have not known my ways. When things become difficult, he said, because the whole purpose was to teach them my ways. That's why I allowed these things to happen in my mercy so that they will learn my ways. He says, but still, so even in the midst of that, you should go and say, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, teach me and he will give you truth and mercy. All his paths are mercy and truth. So I leave you with this, never doubt his goodness, never. God would rather you doubt his ability than doubt his goodness. A father would rather say that I know my father would have done this for me if he had the ability and money to do it, than to say I know my father has the ability and money, but he will not do it. All right? That man, fine. Now we all know, nobody has to teach anybody, God is all powerful because creation tells us he's all powerful. So you don't need to teach anybody. They look into creation and know what needs to be taught is his will, his willingness to use that power because that's the basis of our faith and trust. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word and by the power of your spirit, I ask you establish this truth on the inside of us, deep within our consciousness and cause it to bring forth powerful fruit in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. This podcast is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. For more information, visit www.insightsforliving.org. Thank you and God bless.